I mean, I am so proud to be an American. Actually, she said I was about to take my own life. That you're not alone and that your brain is lying to you and that people do care about you and you will be missed if you're gone. I lost my daughter. She died by suicide. And I looked at him. I knew he was dead. And then I had to go treat the guy who shot him. And don't give up. Negu. N-E-G-U. Never, ever give up. Thank you for tuning in to this special series of Faith in Your Recovery. We're coming to you live from Lucas Oil Stadium at the Fire Department International Conference. We hope you enjoy these stories from the front lines. Stay tuned and God bless. Once again, thanks for joining us here at Faith in Your Recovery. Our guest today comes to us from Miami, Florida. It's a little warmer there probably, isn't it, Yindy, than it is here in Indiana? Oh, you have no idea. <laughs> what were the temperatures when you left home? You remember? Miami only gets hot and wet and just hot and dry, but it, it was in the 90s probably. In the 90s, and you come here and you're looking at the, uh, the 40s and the 50s, basically. I had to buy this sweater because I didn't own one. <laughs> yeah, probably not, and certainly didn't think of bringing it if you would have. So, uh, yeah, again, our guest is Yindi Gonzalez. Yindi, you're a firefighter, correct? Yes, sir. I've been a firefighter for the last 12 years, and uh, I do urban search and rescue also uh, on uh, one of the FEMA urban search and rescue teams. We want you to explain that to us here in a few minutes, okay? What is it that made you willing to do this podcast today? I know that, you know, uh, we've never met before this moment, so why are you willing to step in here with a couple of strangers and take this on? Well, um... This is the third time I come to this conference. And, and before I came very professionally to do stuff and look at the fire trucks. And uh, this time was a little different for me. This time I brought my wife, which was different. And uh, this time was the only time I've been here that I can consider myself a Christian. So how long ago then was it that you became a Christian? <sighs> that's, a, that's a difficult one to answer. I mean, I was baptized as, as a child. Okay. And... Uh, that was in Cuba in 1991. Is that where you're originally from? That's where I'm from. Okay. Go and, ahead there. And I never thought about faith again. I never, not that I didn't think about it, but I never thought it was for me. Okay. Because I had a very uh, interesting childhood, as you can imagine, being from Cuba. And obviously I'm not there, I'm here. And uh, I'm a firefighter and I uh, do urban search and rescue. and. Uh, I have my own traumatic background as a child. And Will you share a little of that with us, please, Yandy? Tell us about that. i got to share a lot of it, Randy, because that's the only way that you'll know. We're good with know. that. Awesome. And, and this is a very special moment for me because my journey in Christ, I'm sure, started a long time ago. But me understanding it was probably this month. That's incredible. So you are a babe in Jesus. Oh, yeah. Okay, go ahead. I, uh, so just to give you some background, I, I hate to take up all your time, but this is That's a very special why story. That's why we're here. That's why we want you. All right, so if you tell me that I'm not taking up your time, then I, I want to tell you the story. I want to tell it to you the whole, the whole way. Go ahead. So I was born in 1989 in Cuba, and um, as you know, it's a communist country. And um, even in communism, that paints, you know, horrible things in a, in, a, in a nice light. Even in communism, they admitted 
that the time period where I was a child in Cuba was, was rough, even by communist standards, because in 1991, the Soviet Union collapsed. So we went from being poor and oppressed to being extremely poor and oppressed. So much so that in 1994, my, uh, my mother made the decision to have my stepfather build uh, a boat, a 23-foot boat in hiding. And 32 men, women, and children, including me, my brother, my stepdad, my mom, my uncle, my aunt, we got on that boat and we tried to cross 90 miles of the ocean. I am getting spirit chills hearing that, but thank you. Go ahead. And um, by that point, my dad had been away from my life. My, you know, thankfully, my stepdad had, had stepped into my life. And when he met my mom, she told him, hey, I have two little kids. That, that's my life. So if you want to, you know, build a relationship with me, just understand you're inheriting two children. And I, I promise you this church, is this story is about Christ. We'll oh, get there. No, I have no issue with this. We've all got a back story. Yeah. Well, I couldn't, I, I couldn't understand any of this. I didn't really understand all of it until about a month ago. But when she met him, um, I was four years old. My brother was three. And uh, he told her, no, that's great. That's what I'm looking for because I can't have kids. I can't have kids, so that's perfect. So this man stepped into my life when I needed a father. And uh, he's been, you know, just the most amazing father I, I could ever have asked for until I, 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 I learned about Christ. And um, he, he was the one that, in hiding, built this 23-foot boat, having never built the boat before, having never been on a, built, a boat before. And in Cuba, if you got caught doing that, you're facing the firing squad. So that's how he's a mountain of a man. And um, we launched, we launched, uh, and we were in the ocean just drifting, trying to, to get to America because this is the best country in the world. You said there were how many on board? 32. 32. I'm going to guess men, women, and children combined? Yes, sir. Okay. And at some point, we were drifting and we were too far to turn around and not close enough to get here, but that boat started sinking. And uh, by then, I was already a firefighter, I think. That's how I'd like to consider it, because while everyone was panicking and they had every reason to, I was in the inside of that boat with a bucket, just moving water out of that boat. I was five years old, and I know that that's not normal because I have a five-year-old now. I know what normal is now. And um, I can tell you that at the time, I didn't know about Christ. I didn't know about faith. And there's a very specific, very, very specific person that Cuban rafters pray to. And that's the Virgin Mary. Okay. And the Virgin Mary to Cuban rafters is who they pray to, to protect them in that 90 miles of ocean to get to, to freedom. And because I was a child, because I thought that I had already been through a lot. I truly thought that I was the hero because I had the bucket. I didn't know. I didn't know that he was there, but he was there. Because as a firefighter, I can tell you that a 23-foot 
wooden boat with 32 people will sink in less than a couple minutes. I can't imagine, yes, yes, to have gotten even as far as you got before it started to happen. I understand how we got there now. Yes, yes. And out of nowhere, a big military ship, an American military ship, pulls up, and we're like driftwood, and they see this tragic, imagine how tragic that looks, 32 people in this little wooden boat. And we don't understand why they won't come down to go get us. I understand that now, as a firefighter, how dangerous it would be to send a soldier down to 32 extremely hopeless people. So they lowered a, a rope ladder and told us to climb. I was five years old and my, my brother was three. You can imagine, this is a big ship, two and three stories high. My mother was not having us climb that ladder because she knew if they didn't come down, if they fall in the water. Yes, there's no rescue at that point. So my mom, who's one of the strongest people I know, she stood in front of that ladder and she said, nobody is getting on that ladder until they come get my kids. So she stood before the, 32, the other 31 and said, nobody climbs until they come and get my kids. Wow. And my stepdad, who was a mountain of a man, was the one holding on to that rope, holding our little ship, a little piece of wood next to this big, big military ship. And they weren't going across them because my parents are the strongest people that I know. And they were the ones that set this whole trip up. So even though it was sinking, we got them that far. They weren't going to cross them. So the soldiers were kind of at a stalemate. And they finally decided to lower a basket on a rope. And my mom grabs me and tells me, and I understand as a father now what she did. I didn't understand it before. Sure. She said, get in that basket and hold your brother. And it doesn't matter what direction that basket goes, up or down. You just don't let go of your brother. And I'm so glad that she said that because had it gone a different way. Yeah, yeah. You know where I would have been. Absolutely. You wouldn't be with us here today. Or maybe I would. Who knows? <laughs> yes, yes. Or maybe I would, but... What was interesting for us, and just as, as luck would have it, was that the, the ship was not heading north. It was heading south. And the reason we built our ship was because in August of 94, there was a big uprising in Cuba. So Castro, to kind of qualm the, 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 you know, the stress of his country and kind of keep things going, he said, if you want to leave, leave. So it caused a huge humanitarian crisis of people just throwing themselves in inner tubes and pallets of wood, whatever could float. And we launched one day too late. Because as we were in the ocean, President Clinton made an address from the White House saying no more Cuban rafters will be intercepted at sea and come to Miami. That's where we thought we were going. They're going to go to this new place, to Guantanamo. So we just built a camp there for them. And I got to be one of the first to go and try out this new refugee camp in Guantanamo on August 21st, 1994. That's my wedding anniversary, August 21. I knew, I knew I was supposed to be here because now that I believe in Christ, trust me, it all makes sense now. Yes. And, and uh, I mean, I don't have to tell you, Randy, with everything that's going on in Ukraine, what a refugee camp looks like. How was it compared to your conditions at home? Not 
your present day conditions, but the conditions you left there in Cuba? To be quite honest, um, it was better. Okay. It was better. It was better in the sense that we, my mother didn't have to worry about us eating every day. Okay. But it was worse in the sense that just imagine yourself as an adult going to a prison camp. But now imagine yourself as an adult going to that prison camp with two small children. Yes. Can, can you just imagine just the, the anxiety and the nerves and, no, not and truly, the fear? No, not but I can, you know, I know it's got to be massive. And now imagine yourself as a child there that, you know, you had, you were oppressed in your country without barbed wire, without fences, and you thought you were going for freedom. And now you're right back in that same country behind the barbed wire fence. And at your age, that ha I can't imagine how traumatic that was. Well, it's, it's interesting yeah. that you say that because part of my discovery of this, and I'll show you some pictures, was uncovering some stuff that I really knew I, that had happened, but I tried to avoid most of it because you can imagine this is not a, an easy thing to, to process as sure. a kid, and I held it my whole life. Okay. Okay. And I want to show you this so that you can get a visual, even though your listeners won't. But I think it's important because I think it gives you context. And uh, so long story short, we were at that camp. And that is my family at that camp. I'm the little blonde kid there in the front. You can see the, the, the tents and stuff in the back. And... Uh, I mean, you can imagine just uh, what that was for my, f I mean, if, if I know that this affected me, I can, I can only imagine my mother. And um, I'll show you some other pictures. This is uh, me and my mother in Cuba. She was eight months pregnant with my brother, and that's it. That was the three of us. That's all we had. Wow. Wow. And I, I, when I came to this country, I mean, I cannot tell you the blessing that this country has been. I mean, I am so proud to be an American because being an American truly changed my life. You know, I wouldn't be here today. You know, not even not even the man that I am, just alive if it wasn't for being an American, if it wasn't for the grace and the love of Americans for immigrants and their story and, and their struggle. You know, if we want to go back into our history, that's how we began was immigrants, okay? And, and I, when I have met people that just unfortunately are ignorant and not understand that, I've always told them, I'm, I'm more American than you because the original Americans were immigrants. Yes. I mean, I don't think you understand that that's what this was, this place. And interestingly enough, it was immigrants that, that immigrated for religious reasons, for religious freedom. Yes, yes. That that is the cornerstone and the foundation of this country. Yes. So I consider myself a lot more American than some because some Americans were born as Americans just well, by coincidence. I chose to be an that, American. That was my next comment. You chose to be an American. You saw the hope and the opportunities for a better life and to float 90 miles, and it sounds like you floated a whole lot more than that because you didn't get the route you wanted, mm -hmm. that uh, you've been through more to get here than I have that was born into it. <laughs> and we all have I our story. I respect that. Well, I, what, I, what I feel that, that should be respected, because everyone has their struggles, and everyone has their stories, but, but if you want to respect one thing about me is the fact that 
I understand that the stuff that I went through, especially at that camp, was 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 difficult. But I never held any kind of anger or resentment. How long were you at the camp? I was at that camp for nine months. Nine months. And there's no resentment. No, why? You should be filled with that in some ways, okay? But why do you think that is? Well, because they didn't have to bring us to the U.S. Okay. That, that didn't have to happen. We, we could have stayed in that, in that uh, purgatory, in that camp, which, which we were told that that was was going to happen. They, they, they were very explicit in saying, listen, if, if we return you to Cuba, Castro will take all of you and put you before a firing squad. We can't do that. But we cannot take any more Cuban immigrants. You guys are going to stay here till a country decides to take you. Yes. Okay. And that leads me to the next part of the story. Go ahead, please. On, on November 14th, 1994, and I know that date because it is 13 years to the day before at November 14, 2007, when I asked my current wife to be my girlfriend, and she's been the love of my life since we were 18. Awesome, awesome. And on that day, we were in those camp, in that camp, in those tents, and it was raining, and it was raining so hard we could not understand how bad it was raining, until the soldiers did something that we just had never seen before. They came into the tents in the middle of the night. And by then, they had worked out all the kinks of separating the one camp into multiple camps because they didn't know they had to separate the men and just the the single adult men from the families. And And just to understand the makeup of that camp, the male to female ratio in that camp was 10 to one. And the camp was designed for 10,000 people. When I got there, there was 37,000 of us. Wow. Wow. So just understand just what a scary place that was. And still, at least my family, I can't speak for others, we felt blessed to be there because we knew as long as we survived this, we're going to go somewhere better. We would love for it to be America because that's where we tried to go to. But anywhere they send us on Earth is going to be better than where we just came from. Okay. Okay. And on that night, they came in, and we did not understand what they were doing. And they looked just—they they never treated us that way, because the, the the American soldiers that really cared for us there, and and I am a huge patriot. I I am so thankful for the men and women that have risked their lives for this country because that's how much this country means to me. They were extremely, extremely good with us. And they never barged into these family tents at night. As you can imagine, we had already been stripped of all our possessions and all of our privacy. We're living in this camp inside tents. And they, they just, they respected us in a way that they would not do that. So it was a surprise to us. And they said, you know, all the men need to stay in these tents. Women and children need to come out. And we did not understand what was going on. And my stepdad, who's a mountain of a man, and I understand that now, if someone tried to come with a gun, I don't oh. care where you're from, and take my, my wife. Separate you. I, I would have a problem with that. I would have a huge problem. I don't care if you have a gun. I'm a father. And there was a little bit of a tense moment there. And they finally explained to us, there was a translator that explained to us, Please, have the men 
to stay still. And they explained that to my stepdad because if he decided that he wasn't going to get his kids separated, you can imagine the kind of man he was, there was going to be a problem there. Sure. And the guy said, please, please, you need to back down and you need to let your your kids and your wife come with us because there's a hurricane hitting this camp right now. It was Tropical Storm Gordon. And as you can imagine, these little tent camp, it wasn't going to hold up to a tropical storm. By no means. And they said, we can only shelter the women and the children. The men have to stay. Well, I didn't want to go. Because at that point in my life, I already thought I was a man. Remember, I saved us from the sinking ship. I truly believed that that was me. I did that. Because I didn't believe in Christ yet. And I got on the ground. I said, no, I'm staying. I see it for what it is now because I'm an adult and I'm a father. And I can be very honest with you and candid. I had already lost my dad. He left the country. He left us. And my stepdad, this mountain of a man that had built this ship and at least got us to a better place, was keeping us safe in this camp that was very scary. And just the thought of him getting blown away by a hurricane, I would have rather been next to him than knowing that I was going to wake up the next day and be at this camp again, but now I lost the man that was keeping us safe here. Well, you were going back to that basket almost where your mother told you to hold tight to your brother regardless of the outcome. And here you are wanting to hold tight for yourself. Yeah, you can only take so much. I was five years old. I have a five-year-old now. I have a five-year-old now. She sees a tree just move in the shadow of the window, and it is a monster. And that is beautiful to me because that is normal. But that wasn't me. Yes. And um, so the hurricane hit, and they put us, they sheltered us wherever they could in an airplane hangar. And just imagine how sad that airplane hangar must have been with all the women and the children in this camp. They had already been through so much. They had already been lost everything. They left their families behind. They almost drowned at sea. Some of them saw people on their ships, their rafts, die at sea, drown. Yes. And yes. now they're separated from all the men. And as, as, as I can call myself a, a Christian and a practicing Catholic now, I truly understand just how important a man is for his family, especially now, a man to lead his family in faith. Yes. So you can imagine just the horror that they were feeling that all these men were going to get blown away in a hurricane. But by the grace of God, that didn't happen. Woke up the next day, and that camp was torn to shreds, but the men made it. And I still couldn't believe in God. But you have to forgive me. I'm a child in this adult world, in this this rough adult world. And every time that there seems to be a blessing for me, as soon as I feel like we're picking up, the fall is that much further down. Okay. Okay. At least that was my perspective. Gotcha. Because I couldn't see the miracle that it was. Sure. This overweighted 23-foot homemade boat drifted across a ship. I mean, the ocean is huge. Just drifted across that ship. That ship wasn't looking for us. I couldn't see the miracle that that was. I couldn't see the miracle that all those men made it through that hurricane. And you know what? I don't think God holds you a bit responsible for not having been able to see it then. If you couldn't look back and see it now, he'd probably want to talk with you about that. I think you. I wouldn't be in this tent if I, if I, if at this point in my life, especially where the story goes in this month, because this month was my birthday. 
this month. My birthday just passed. It was a very special birthday for me because I turned 33 on April 17th on Easter Sunday. 33 of on the Easter year that I found Sunday. Christ. On the year that I, I, I no symbolism there. <laughs> oh, I, I I know that Christ has been in my life. I know it now. Oh yes. But but I know that He knows me. He knows me better than I know myself, and it had to be that obvious for me to accept it. So he really lined things up in my life real good. Scriptures say he knew us before he knit us together in our mother's womb. And I believe that to my core, Randy, because my life has been one miracle after another. And I think part of the reason why I never told the story, and even my wife who's been with me for 15 years, didn't know the story till this month, was because I always knew I lived a really amazing life just to be able to survive all the things that I did. But in my head, I said, you know what, one day I might write a book. But I knew no one's going to buy a book with me as the hero in it. And I already knew that that story with me as the hero, who's going to want to read that? I'm not that special. And But now, you've been used in a special way. <laughs> well, I think I had, I had to not see Christ for a long time to, to become a man of conviction in everything else, because that's the man that I am. I'm convicted as, as a father, as a husband, as a firefighter, as a first responder. And the minute that I found Christ, I had to just eat my words for the other 32 years, and I was happy to do it, happy to do it, because now that I found Christ in my life, I see what a horrible friend I'd been to him. And in my life, I've always been a very good friend. And now that I have the most beautiful friendship I could ever have, I, just like now, will be telling my story. Because I finally see the hero in my story wasn't me. It was Christ. And I will tell that story, Randy, till the day that uh, I die. I hope so. Okay. <laughs> this is major. Uh, I'm a retired pastor after 35 years in ministry. I've had a lot of experiences, been with a lot of people, heard a lot of stories. I'm sitting here near tears hearing yours. It's okay so if you okay. cry, because I cried my eyes out. I can't imagine. And Randy, it, if, if you don't believe my story, which I know uh, that you do. Absolutely, beyond a shadow I, of a doubt. I want you to just describe, because it is a podcast, describe to your viewers what this is. Well, I give it my best if shot. If you could, you can zoom in or I can All help right. you. All right, it says the journey... For an education. For an education. And, and it looks like some names at the bottom. There's, I see four individuals in a boat here. But Let's, it's a kid's drawing. Yes, yes, it's a kid's drawing. And it. I'm going to guess it's probably mom and dad and a couple of your kids. No, no, mom. Or you, it would have been your kids' grandparents, your parents. My parents. Yes. It's, it's two. And two, the two of you, you and your me brother. Me and my brother on a boat in the ocean. And it says the journey for education. And what Randy really can't see down there, it says, and I want to zoom in, it says, by Yendi Gonzalez. Yes. Illustrated by Yendi Gonzalez. And I don't want you to throw you off because my handwriting is horrible to this day, but that is my handwriting as, as a nine-year-old. And I did this as a school project. I told my story. It was the first time I wrote my book. And, and you flip through it. And I want you to see this real special. I, I, don't, I did this as a project. And I guess I must have messed up this drawing. I don't think it was a mistake. You see the, the, the halo over my mother? I do. It, it, it was like I, I, do. like I messed up the drawing and I kind of erased it, but it stayed there. Yes. Okay. Okay. All right. Well, that's the entire story that I told you I wrote at nine years old. And I'm going to send you this when we're done, Randy, because this whole story 
Adults lie, but children don't. This exact story is verbatim how I'm telling you through the eyes of a child, and that child was me. That's and a million-dollar piece of paper there. Uh, well beyond. It's price, priceless to me. Priceless. Because whoever doesn't believe in Christ like I did, and I have the proof that this story was real, I, I, I could not have lied about this at yes. nine years old. I have the pictures and the scars to prove it. And I am so thankful, and I have been so convicted in Christ. And well, seeing these things, I don't know about a million dollars, but if, but if I can save a million souls... With this story, that's worth more than that. Well, you know what? We're we're new in the podcast business. We've only been at it about six months, but we managed to have right at 30,000 listeners. That's amazing. And, and we believe this is going to reach all of those and then some. Along with that, we want to be able to, to perpetuate your hope and your dream of touching more lives. And this is not something you could have made up. Yindy's continuing to show me pictures here of the camp where he was. It's got writing above it. I look forward to seeing that in my hands to where I can take a better look. And I'll forgive you for the handwriting. It's all right. I got the physical book. I have it. You have it? Of course. Oh, awesome. Awesome. Well, that's, that's got more than potential. It's got promise because I like what you said. Who's going to read about you as a hero? Who I'm not is the Yindy hero. Gonzalez? I'm not the hero. Who yeah. is that guy? Exactly. Who is that guy? And I've been called a hero my whole career. Well, I've you been know. Call, I've, I've done a lot of heroic things, and I thought that the heroic things that I did as a child were my doing. But now that no. I am convicted in Christ and I truly, truly have my eyes open, I can truly tell you that there is nothing that I have accomplished as a child or as an adult that is worthy of being called heroic that did not have the hand of Christ in it. There's no way we could call you any less than a survivor because you chose to fight that battle. He may have given you the bucket to throw... He may have given you the heart to throw out the water, but you're the one who had to swing the bucket. He didn't do that for you, so it does involve you. Uh, he's your strength. You know, it tells us that in the scriptures. He was your help and your hope, but you're the one who had to swing the bucket. And obviously, it, had you stopped one bucket sooner? <laughs> who knows? No, I don't. Uh, I don't think knows? it's that as much. But, but I do want to. I do want to tie this into the rest of the story. Because I told you my stepdad couldn't have children. And I told you that, you know, he still decided to be my dad. Yes. And, but I have a brother. I have another brother. Uh, he had a kid. Aha. Uh-huh. How? Well, I, I do want to pay some homage and some respect to the, the Mascanosa family. You might not know them, but they're a very beautiful family in Miami. They're very, very successful. They've been successful in business, but they have always given back to Cuban Americans because their father, the George Mascanosa, he was in Miami and he was fighting the fight for Cuban Americans everywhere. And he was in Washington lobbying okay. for those Cubans that were in that camp to please get brought to the U.S. because that man was so ahead of his time. What we see today in Ukraine, in 1994, he already knew that that was not good for these people. And because of him and because of that hurricane and the conditions in that camp after, every single adult that was with a minor at that camp got visas immediately. 
President Clinton. President Clinton granted us that. And to this day, I've always said he's my favorite president. He really has been. Um, well, because of the Moss family, because of the Cuban-American foundations in Miami that truly gave back and truly tried to help their brothers and sisters that could not be as fortunate as them to get here, we were given visas. And before we left that camp, just to do that, that naturalization process and to get us over here, they had to give us a medical physical. And that's when they, sure. told, they told my mom, by the way, congratulations, you're pregnant. <laughs> <laughs> if I hadn't known who my mom is, I could I would think other things, but trust me that, that that's not my mom. My mom, that was a thousand percent the son of my stepdad who could not have kids. Just couldn't. Just a miracle. A miracle. A miracle from God. Yeah. And and wow. that is my uh one of my younger brothers who has been a miracle uh from God because he Unfortunately, he's been plagued with a lot of mental health issues, a lot of drug addiction issues. And um, as bleak as my life looked, I've cared for him and truly loved him and sometimes been like a father to him because I understood that what he was going through, and I understand it so much more today, knowing what it means to be conceived in a place like that, it wasn't his doing. Just imagine yeah. being conceived by a... By a 28-year-old 20, woman in this just bleak, bleak place where you're constantly worried and anxious and depressed about your conditions, just imagine what that child is going to inherit. And the beautiful part of it for me is no matter how hard my life was as an immigrant here, I could never sway too far off the right path because I had to be there for my brother had to make sure he was okay. You were going to continue to hold tightly to him, heart to heart, even if not your arms around his waist, heart to heart. That was another brother. I've never been able to let go of my brother. Yeah. Because yeah, that is the yeah. man that Christ made me to be. The man that I needed to be for the hardships that I was going to face that he already knew. Well, uh, this is story. I didn't expect this story, Andy. I know, Randy. All I right, can see it in your face. And, and I'm going to tell your viewers, Randy, I just met him today. And uh, he's been, you know, very genuine, very real. And he has just the biggest smile on his face. <laughs> Why not? You know, you're a reminder of everything that Christ stands for. It wants to be. You know, this place, I was told during this convention, would have 40,000 people. Mm -hmm. And as I look around and have this moment together, when there are 39,999 other people, I will remember this. And I say that genuinely. And I will know it's going to have an impact. Yindi, we'll kind of close it with this. Our podcast is called Faith in Your Recovery. Now, you don't come from an addiction background. We get that. But you have a recovery process that you've been going through from your early life experiences that could have brought about mental health conditions that wouldn't have allowed you to be here today, all right? Uh, dealing with this and that, what does the title Faith in Your Recovery mean to you for others who may be struggling in their life and needing to recover from their dark moments? Well, Randy, I, I, I just want to say um, I have to I have to take a moment to 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 honor a very special person in my life and a few special people in my life before okay. I tell you that. Okay. And that is, of course, first and foremost, Angela, my beautiful wife. 
um, who has been with me since we were 18. She's truly been the love of my life. And I have to honor a very special man, um, Father Marino. And he is the fire department chaplain who ironically works at St. Mary's Cathedral that's right next to my fire station, Miami Fire Station 9 in Little Haiti. And uh, they all had a, 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 a place in getting me to my faith. And the, the, the title that you said, Faith in My Recovery? Yes. What it means to me is, and we'll have to do another podcast, but I'm one of the responders that was at that Champlain Towers collapse. And um, I know for a fact that that's been difficult for me to recover from. And it's something that is not something that I'm ready to talk about yet, but I truly wanted to come to this and speak because I know that every single person that responded to that is going through a lot. And I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for the love of Christ. You have to understand that as firefighters, we're held to such a huge high standard and we're held to in such a high place. It is great when you're called a hero because you saved someone. It is truly a cross to carry and a burden when you're called a hero and you could not save anyone. And I did not have the most difficult job at Surfside. Other people did. Those other people are my friends. And I'm here today to let them and whoever's listening know that I was having a very difficult time and only through the grace of God and finding Jesus Christ as my Savior could I even be here to talk to you today. But like every other time in my life, it's not about me. It's about everyone else. And whoever was there that knows what they're going through, just know I'm right there with you, and so is Christ. And I'm so proud to be able to give all the glory of any of my accomplishments to the one that truly deserves to take it. And that is Jesus Christ, because without him, without the Catholic Church, without my parish, St. John Newman, without the Emmaus Men's Retreat, I could not be here today speaking to you, Randy, and I know that we'll speak again. So you let me know when our next podcast will be. I love the thought of the Emmaus retreat. I'm very familiar with Emmaus. Well, I'm an Emmaus brother as of this month. It, it, it cares about your heart, and uh, it cares about your life with Christ. Thank you for sharing all of that with us here today, Yindi. Thank you for the steps you've taken. Obviously, we praise God for putting those opportunities in front of you, but you've reached out and taken them. Lots of times Christ can walk in front of us and we'll ignore him. Sometimes we may not see him, but when we look back just as you have, we recognize his hand's been upon us. Uh, you're an inspiration. Your story's an inspiration through what you've done. I believe this is going to touch lives, change hearts, and even save souls. God bless you. Take care. Amen. Amen, brother.